The Nerdalogs is a Chicago-based sketch group that writes comedy based on shared true, personal stories about our existence as lifelong nerds. We started your stories to give everyone a chance to do what we do, share their own stories, and foster a more heartfelt, welcoming nerd community. Your Stories is about embracing the weird and obscure in your life and asserting your geekdom with a group that gets your references. And, most importantly, Your Stories is a place to bring people up, not to put anyone down. Try to keep your stories around five minutes, laugh at jokes, cry if appropriate, and applaud everyone who has the guts to sit here, tell a story, and come out as a nerd. Hey nerds, my name is Eric Garnell. And welcome to the first part of the September Nerdlogs Presents Your Stories podcast. The theme this month is Propose a Theory, chosen by Nerdlogs member and newly minted doctor, Bill Kenkel, who sadly will be taking his leave of us for Boston, Massachusetts as of, I think, yesterday. Uh, since this was Bill's last show, we thought it would be cool for him to be its co-pilot, so to speak. Uh, what resulted was a group of storytellers doing their best impressions of scientists. Uh, this episode features amazing theories, on everything from spaceships, to time travel, to the Cheesecake Factory, to violas, to being bad at everything, to the world of Warcraft. Uh, from the speakers, of course, Dr. Bill Kenkel, Nerdalogs member Steve Persh, librarian Chris Crotwell, a tag team of violists, Sarah Schieber and Marnie Thompson, podcaster Sawyer Heppies, and forensic accountant Jonathan Lester. There's also the usual music from myself and the incredibly talented Mr. Dwight Hassler. Uh, the next episode of Your Stories will take place on Sunday, September 16th at the Upstairs Gallery in Chicago, 5219 North Clark Street, at 7pm. As usual, it's free, and it's BYOB, and the theme will be coming home. Uh, we are inspired by fall being kind of the season of going back to school or otherwise returning to familiar things after the respite of summer, uh, but we don't want to take it quite that literally, so coming home is the theme. So hop on over to the Upstairs Gallery and talk about whatever coming home means to you, on Sunday, September 16th, and get on this very podcast. Other than that, we don't have a ton to plug right now, although there's lots of exciting stuff coming up in the future for Nerdalogs. Uh, I do want to mention that we will be performing at the New York Comic Con in October, so any East Coasters out there, get ready for us. And finally, if you enjoy the show and would like to help support it, there is a donate button on the side of our homepage at yourstories.podme.com. You can send us some money through PayPal. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening, and please enjoy the show. Our whole universe was in a hotbed Stayed then nearly 14 million years ago Expansion started way The Earth began and all the Eutrals began And all the young, all the wells and all the wells the wall They built the pyramids Math, science, history, unraveling the mystery That all started with a Big Bang Bang! <laughs> I see bad moonlight <laughs> I see struggle Don't go around the 
Bill Kenkel. Bill Kenkel! Hey guys! I wanted to do a theory night so uh, we can just have all sorts of crazy ideas flying back and forth. Uh, so, thank you, Chris. So, um, anything goes, and I'll, I'll start the. Uh, I'll start it off. Um, a few weeks ago, I think maybe two weeks ago, I went to the uh, Museum of Science and Industry with my girlfriend and her family for the landing of the Mars Curiosity rover, which is fucking awesome. Uh, it was this like whole night at the museum kind of event, and uh, we like we walked through the exhibit and we saw that this like life-size replica of the rover and they like a little like CGI video to like tell you like okay it's gonna approach the planet Mars at like Mach 30. And then it's going to split into pieces, and there's going to be a, the biggest parachute you've ever seen in your life. Like, we don't know if it's going to work. And then that part is going to transform into a rocket crane. And then... <laughs> and I was there, and we had this, like, live feed to NASA, and all I could think of was, I was like, man, this is going to be so disappointing when this thing just smashes in. <laughs> I didn't think for a minute that plan was going to work. <laughs> That was fucking insane. It involved a rocket crane. That was, I was like, if it involves a rocket crane, then they went through any other better possible idea. And they're like, well, we're going to have to try the rocket crane. Um, so in case you're wondering uh, if I'm going to put together a like grand theory of everything for this last uh, Your Stories, my theory is that nerds love spaceships. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Mars rover made me remember, and, uh, and uh, I'll give credit to Chris Geiger because we had a nice stoned conversation about spaceships the other night. Yeah. Um, the Mars rover made me remember, like, the biggest engineering challenges I faced as a kid was, like, how to build a Lego tank that could survive a trip down the stairs. <laughs> and I thought that was impossible. I mean, it was impossible. <laughs> so, like, the idea that they could land a rover from, like, Mach 20 to, like, gently settling down, and you can't, like, disturb any dust either. You have to, like, just set it down ever so gently. I thought that was impossible. So it made me start thinking about how much, like, nerds give this, like, weird inborn, almost like genetic predisposition to love, like, and it generalizes to all ships. I think it generalizes, like, from boats to spaceships to anything. So, um, I remember there was a game, uh, I was recently playing Galactic Civilization, and, you know, you have all these options about diplomacy and warfare and whatnot, but the thing that I spent my entire time playing that game doing was designing the ships. <laughs> Literally do it to the most minute, like, color scheme detail. While the whole functions of a galactic civilization lay, like, completely neglected, I was like, ooh, I can make an X-Wing. <laughs> and, like, and pop culture indulges us in this. Like, there's, like, a whole, like, sort of, like, theme, a, um, uh, a trope in movies and TV of just, like, ship porn. Like, from the very beginning of Star Wars, it is just this, like, luxurious, like, decadent, erotic shot of a ship, like, coming over the top right there. And, like, that may as well just be like a naked woman just like floating <laughs> over there. It's such a great shot. And there's like all these shots that are like engineered in shows that like appeal to me and probably a lot of people that like take place when, when human beings aren't talking to each other. There's these great little slivers of awesomeness in between shows. <laughs> where like in, uh, in Battlestar Galactica, I don't remember if you guys have watched this, but they'll do these, the whole fleet. For, first of all, they have a whole fleet. It's so 
decadent. <laughs> they don't have like ships that look the same. Each ship looks different. There's that one that's got the ring part. Like, <laughs> I love that one. Um, and they, they'll do these whole fleet jumps and it's like, it's just pornographic because they pop in and it's just like, it's sensory overload of ships appearing all at once and you just get this rush of ship porn. Um, so the other example I really liked was Star Trek. And what, what was missing for me from the last Star Trek movies, I watched Star Trek movies to see like the terrible shit that happens to the Enterprise. Yeah. Like the Enterprise made it through that last Star Trek movie like pretty okay. I think they got down to like 17% shields. <laughs> like I want the end of a Star Trek movie to be like just disastrous. I love it when Khan like figured out their shield frequency or when that fucking Klingon could fire while still cloaked. That was ridiculous. It shot a torpedo through the saucer section. You saw, you saw these little corpses just like fly out into space. Uh, Chris will also tell you that when we were writing the Star Trek burlesque, what I really wanted for it to be is I wanted a scene of ship-on-ship combat. I didn't put this together until just now. It really is sort of a ship porn thing. And I wanted little corpsicles to come floating off of the dancers. Chris thankfully reeled me back on that plan. <laughs> Thank you, Chris, for doing that. Um, but like the ultimate like thing to happen in a Star Trek episode was like the saucer section separating. Like that was oh man, that happened like once in a blue moon. It was the best. Um, where am I? Uh, yeah, the the saucer section and like the whole Star Trek thing is it's like it's like the S and M of ship porn because you just want to see this like poor ship just get like punished and degraded and somehow it's like. Ooh. Oh, I love it, but like, just, yeah, just smash that ship. Like, oh, here's the Borg come, and they're just gonna fuck up a whole bunch of Federation ships, and it's just gluttonous. I'm thinking nobody else feels that way, and that's fine. That's cool. Uh, what I worry about is, like, I am just, like, a step away from some sort of, like, like anti-social... Like uh, just like a gear worshiping nerd, and I think I like nerds especially. We we walk that fine line between like function, like barely functioning normal person, and like high functioning Aspergers. <laughs> so I'm going to be the first person you know. This is what I like stay awake worrying at at night. I'm going to be the first person who comes up with like adult onset autism. <laughs> this is my love of ships, and I'm 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 just thankful every day that I'm not into trains. <laughs> I think the guys who are into trains, that's like the dude equivalent of the horse girl. <laughs> so I worry that like somehow that this, this love of spaceships that I have is gonna like ruin some sort of future potential that I might have. Because I know, for, I, I, like, I like studying autism a lot and I know that some of the risk factors uh, of autism are having a really old father and an engineering father. And I worry that like every day I fixate on ships, like my swimmers are down there just playing with Legos. <laughs> <laughs> that's all, thanks guys. And that is how we will always remember Bill Kinkle. <laughs> um, 
So Star Trek the motion picture though, I say, say it goes too far in the shit porn direction because I think you would lose an hour if you cut all the slow panning shots. So like, what? How would you classify that? Like, that's the kind of porn where you're like, okay, I get that's it. You're fucking. That's soft. Group thing. Yeah. All right. Um. So Bill actually is gonna kind of co-host the rest of the oh, night, okay. and if, if something <laughs> strikes him about one of your theories, he might comment because this is his night, you guys. So let's give it up again for Bill Kanker. <laughs> The first, the first person to be judged by Bill Kenkel will be Steve! Alright. Judge away, Bill. I welcome I welcome your scrutiny, Bill. Uh, so I'm going to talk about time travel. Uh, and uh Yes. Uh, so I'll, I'll try to keep it moving fast because we've got a lot of people tonight. So there's, there's an image that I've seen a lot uh, floating around the internet. It's of a protest sign, a fake protest sign saying, What do we want? Time travel. When do we want it? It's irrelevant. <laughs> the idea being that if humanity ever gets time travel... It won't matter when we get it, because we can go back in time and tell everyone how awesome time travel is. My theory is that we can't count on backwards time travel. It's not going to happen. And I've got, I've got some reasons for that. First of all, nobody is going to go back in time and stop Hitler. That's a common thing when discussing time travel. There's even an XKCD comic about it recently, that if you get time travel, the first thing you're obligated to do is go back and stop Hitler. Nobody's going to do that. First of all, I think time travel is probably one of the most expensive engineering propositions you could have. In addition to the sky crane, which cost $2.5 billion. Time worth it. Totally worth it. Totally worth $2.5 billion. The sky crane, uh, I think, would be a tiny fraction of what it would cost to do time travel. So time travel is really only available to America right now or really giant corporations. And they don't want to mess up the recent past, especially World War II, which was great for America. As callous as that sounds, there's no reason for America to go back right now and change anything about World War II. Because we want to be where we are now. Wherever we are that gets us to the point where we can do time travel, we don't want to mess up anything leading up to that <laughs> Imagine 10,000 years in the future, a society that has nothing to do with America gets time travel. They're not going to want to mess up anything in the past that got them there. Uh, also, okay, so World War II is a very touchy subject. Who agrees that if you could do time travel, you should stop the Holocaust? I, I agree. That would be good if we could stop the Holocaust. Keep your hands up and leave them up if you would also want to go back and stop what happened in Merv. So what now? Exactly! Exactly! No one has on their list of things to stop going back to 1221 and stopping Genghis Khan from killing a million people in a weekend. Nobody cares! 800 years later, it is on no one's list of things to stop. And it's gonna take us a long time to get to time travel. And by the time we do, going back to World War II isn't gonna be on anyone's lists. Also, no time travel for personal use. It's really tempting to think, oh, Doc Brown and Marty are going to go back. No, because again, time travel is only going to be available to that 
super country or super corporation. They're not going to waste it on personal things. Uh, unless it's Citizen Kane and he wants to go back and play with Rosebud. <laughs> it's not happening. Also, time travel for mystery solving. That's another common thing. <laughs> Let's go back and find out who really killed JFK. Maybe it was the CIA. No. <laughs> An American president isn't going to authorize that multi-billion or trillion dollar mission to find out if his private army killed one of his predecessors. He gets no benefit from finding out that the CIA killed or didn't kill JFK. Uh, I mean, even, even right now, he could find out how did the CIA authorize torture. You don't even need a time machine to figure that out. There's no way we're going to spend uh, that time machine on something that controversial. Also, no one's going to come back to us. If a civilization 10,000 years from now figures out time travel, they have no reason to come back here. Just as we're not going back to save the city of Merv. <laughs> it's really tempting to think that we live in a really important time right now where we're shifting um, to an advanced technological society and that's a really important moment in human history. If it is that important, then it's that important because we can document everything. So if 10,000 years from now they want to know what we're thinking, they can just go on YouTube. <laughs> they have no reason to come back and tell us how awesome it is in the year 12,000. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> Rock solid, Steve. It's pretty yeah. rock solid. I think you broke some hearts, though, man. Yeah, it's cold. Yeah. Some disillusionment in this room. What about my kids? Nothing's <laughs> <laughs> gotta be done about your kids. Have, have you considered uh, a time-traveling supervillain obsessed with the Flash who decides to go back in time to alter the events in his life so that he's challenged harder? Because that's a big omission. Right. Uh, the fact that no one but Sawyer laughed at that makes me really sad, you guys. I'm more of a, I'm more of a Thank you. Man. Thank you. Alright. So with that embarrassment behind me, Chris Crotwell. His name is the Reverse Flash. Jesus Christ, he wears yellow. He dresses like the Flash. Chris Crotwell. Everybody? Education at Codex. Um, so I have a theory, and it's, uh, it's, it's really more of an opinion I plan on foisting onto all of you. That the Cheesecake Factory is the least satisfying dining experience <laughs> It's not because you often find them perched out in front of those tacky, decadent, sprawling compounds of suburban excess. That's, that's subjective. Some people love those places. Who knew? It's not because of that. Um, it's because of choice. That's the problem. And here's where it comes right down. I have menu anxiety. I have horrible menu anxiety. It's, it, as soon as you hand me a menu, I'm just terrified the entire time. And I can't pick anything because I know it's going to be wrong. And the more choices you give me, the worse that is. And that happens on a really high level for me, but it happens on a low level for everyone. It's really well-studied and well-documented phenomenon that lots of choice makes people less happy. You're just less satisfied if you have a hundred choices, and you pick one, you will like it less than if you'd had four. And it has nothing to do with what you picked. That's just a thing that we more or less know about ourselves. <laughs> so when you go into a cheesecake factory and open that menu, it is huge! 
dude. It's like 40 pages long. I came in here to eat and I read the fucking Federalist Papers. I just want some food. And you look at pricing structures for restaurants, right? You have um, some of the most, some more expensive places you'll eat. You'll have very little choice. Five things, maybe. And you'll be very happy with any one of those five very expensive things that you picked. And if you go even further up that cost, that, that cost scale, you get to some of the most expensive restaurants in the world where they just tell you what you're going to eat. <laughs> and you will be happy with it. And it will be the best meal you've ever had. Instead of 500 items that are all sort of too expensive <laughs> and you have no idea what to pick and, and, and no one can tell me that when you go in there it's always for a, a baby shower or a wedding rehearsal because I never with like five friends like hey I'll tell you the cheesecake factory <laughs> and maybe that's because I'm not a 42 year old woman <laughs> maybe that's why but no it's always for some event and you you can't tell me that like 50 people order off this m m like enormous menu that a single one of them leaves thinking Man, that other thing, it would have been better. <laughs> it's just not. It's just not how it happens. So, yeah, fuck the Cheesecake Factory. <laughs> Thank you, Kyle. Well, I haven't heard such a moving argument against choice since uh, Loki in The Avengers. <laughs> um, counterpoint, cheesecake is delicious. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Yeah, but you, two kinds. 50 kinds. <laughs> Outrageous. Uh, proof in and out burger. There's like three, thing on, three things on the menu. You leave so happy. There are not three okay. things on the menu. See, yeah, that, that's a good point. Animal because, animal because, yeah, the reason yeah. I think that the in and out attracts such a big customer base is because of all the secret shit that isn't on the menu. Yeah. So maybe, I mean, you guys should get together and work this out. Let's workshop it. What are you guys doing tomorrow? We're workshopping. All right, we got, we got some music up next. Sarah and Marnie have. Okay, so we're gonna talk first. Um, so last time uh, for the End of the World podcast, Mari and I both ended up playing a song, which brought up a lot of questions from you guys, mostly, what is a viola? <laughs> um, <laughs> for future reference, it's that <laughs> instrument right there. So afterwards, we were talking and kind of thinking, like, how do we explain the viola to someone? And how somehow, do we explain viola to a bunch of nerds? Right, exactly. And somehow yeah. we ended up at um, if orchestra were Star Wars, viola. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the violas would be the Jedi's. Oh. <laughs> Slow down, everybody. I want to hear her justification. <laughs> okay, so point number one. I'm going to do a little bit of visual stuff here first. I have a couple pictures here. Who recognizes these? Yeah? Okay. This is a treble clef and this is a bass clef. They're pretty commonly seen. Now, who recognizes this? One of you. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> like two and a half of you. And I think Dwight is lying. <laughs> this is an alto clef. This is what violas read when they read music. So here's my first point in here. Um, not a lot of people know what alto clef is. 
Thank you for demonstrating. <laughs> um, a lot of people haven't even heard of it. Um, there are some people that have heard of it, but I'm not joking, they thought it was a myth. <laughs> I, I have a friend that was playing in an ensemble for a church service where someone was composing original music for them, because a lot of quartets end up playing in churches at some point. And um, the composer came up to my friend and said, so do you want your part in treble or bass? And she said, how about alto? And this person who had been in music for a very long time was writing music said, I thought that was a myth. <laughs> I'm not joking. <laughs> so um, yeah, we're the only ones in the orchestra that read alto clef. We do also read treble clef sometimes because I think that like Mozart got tired and was like, okay, you're gonna play in treble now. Um, <laughs> nice. <laughs> so we can read both, but violins can't go back and read alto in the middle of their music. They certainly have never been asked to, but um, that's just not a thing that happens. There are a lot of similarities between alto clef and the force. <laughs> so not every, well, when you get to like a new hope, not everyone really knows what it is. They don't really understand it. They haven't heard of it, right? It's just like this mysterious thing. Um, Han thought the force was a myth. <laughs> um, and even though, here's my um, point here about the treble clef being able to read both. So when they're destroying the Death Star, right, Luke is trying to use the computer thing to aim for like the little mysteriously left open gas valve or whatever, like garbage chute <laughs> thing to destroy the Death Star and he can't do it. Um, everyone else could use the computer to do it, but Luke decides to use the Force. No one else can use the force, <laughs> but Luke is able to do it. Um, and so that's kind of like us being able to switch back into alto clock. <laughs> it works, you guys. <laughs> I've seen Star Wars. <laughs> and like, if Darth Vader gets pissed, he can force choke someone. General Akbar, you don't see him doing that. It just doesn't happen. So. <laughs> Point two, there are not a lot of us. It just, it just doesn't happen. It's not like the glamorous instrument that would be the violin, mostly. Um, Were you killed off by one of your own? So there's, usually it's a much smaller section um, dwarfed by the two separate sections of violins. Uh, Sometimes we're not even included in the smaller groups. I have another visual representation here. There are not a lot of Jedis. <laughs> if you look at this picture here in the forest of Endor, we've got C-3PO, R2-D2, Han, Leia, Chewbacca, and then the Jedi stuck all the way in the back. <laughs> Can barely see him. And here we go again in this photo one Jedi to three other people. So, <laughs> it's pretty um, similar ratio that we're up against here. So that's point number two. Um, violas do a lot of the foundation work for the orchestra. So to behind the scenes a little bit, um, we're laying the mortar groundwork down, but uh, 
we will often play the part that helps connect the lines of the, the melodies and the deeper harmonies. So you have the violins out there doing their own little really high-pitched thing that's really shrieky. Uh, and then you have, you know, the nice cellos, and they're, they're okay. It's yeah, okay. The bass is kind of just chugging along, doing its thing. Right. Violas are in the middle, just bringing it all together yeah. beautifully. Doing all the grunt No work. better spec. So it's a very, you know, adds some cohesion and depth to the, to the, uh, the pieces. Um, so it really rounds out uh, the picture for a very in-sync orchestra experience, such as the Jedis, who do a lot of the peacekeeping as well, bringing everybody <laughs> together, making it all smooth. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's, we'll function as go-betweens between the different groups. And so if you think about it, what happened when the Jedis went away? Then the Empire takes over. And it's, ter it's terrible. If the Jedis are gone, it's only violins. Or the violas are gone. I mean, it's only violins. And yeah. it's pretty crap. I mean, if you think about it, like... <laughs> basically, it's kind of like a second violin, knowing that they're not going to get that music scholarship, so they switch to viola, yep. you know, because there's less of us. They're not a true viola, you know? <laughs> they play it, but it's not, it's not the same. <laughs> so... <laughs> So, so it's a yeah. more philosophical type of people can uh, see the bigger picture. So keeping it go. smooth. Um, also, violas don't really get great parts all the time in movies or uh, orchestras. So it's a lot of quarter notes, guys. Yeah, it's, and if it's, you don't know what that means, boring. it's boring. It's boring. It's bump, 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 or bump, bump. I'm like, oh god. Happy to do it. It's just boring. It's, it's, yeah. It, I mean. I mean, we'll do the best quarter notes you've ever heard, but... <laughs> so you need to get, you know, some more interesting ki kind of pieces going on there. So in order to do that, you have to be a little persuasive and kind of crafty, such as a Jedi might be. So... <laughs> Obi-Wan got rid of the stormtroopers, and uh, so we have to use those types of similar skills to talk our conductors into giving us nicer parts. I've, I've done that before, and it's worked out pretty well. Yep, and we're usually in a better position to suggest what's going to go along because we know what's going on outside on the high of the end, melody. the low end, everything. Yeah. So, yeah, in a good position. And last point, John Williams has written some pretty great music. <laughs> there is no arguing with this. Um, he wrote the music for Star Wars. And a lot of times, as we've been saying, the viola part can get pretty... Um, repetitive uh, and John tends to always write us at least one good part for which we're very grateful we usually get to play the melody at least a couple times um, I don't know if he was friends with a violist when he was a child or what but um, it's he's done some nice things for violas he's done some pretty great things for the Jedi's too because with that music they became just you know the music is what really pops them off the screen and into our hearts. <laughs> You're humming music when you leave the theater. So this is my picture of John Williams. <laughs> um, yeah, so he's pretty awesome. And basically, we decided that we really Without wanted further to play ado. some Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> Bill, don't be swayed by your emotions here. Don't let this. <laughs> oh, see, I like this because for about half a year in fifth grade, I played the viola. Oh, hell! Oh, 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 ultimately, not talented enough. <laughs> <laughs>
Search your feelings, Bill. You know it to be true. <laughs> they kicked me right out of the Jedi Academy. <laughs> You're too old. <laughs> I, I like to tell myself that. Yeah. <laughs> what, 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 10, 11? Yeah. That's like Anakin. Yeah. That's yeah. All those kids died anyway. <laughs> <laughs> he killed the young ones. No. That was the lucky guy to do that. And uh, Luke would not go back and die and save him. <laughs> Turned out fine for Luke. <laughs> about it next month. It's the wiki. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so up next we got the one guy in the room who knows who the reverse flash is. God bless you, sir. So you're happy. Well, uh, it's now kind of an interesting follow-up um, because this was uh, clearly about how talented you guys are with the viola. My uh, theory is less of a theory, more of a conclusion, and about how less talented I am. It is, I am thoroughly convinced I'm bad at everything. I am virtually, and it's okay, it's not a pessimistic thing, it's a, it's an acceptance that helps me get through life. I can go into something, and it's like, it's okay, I'm gonna be really bad at this, so I know, I know the outcome. 
So, I, um, just growing up, you know, I was always a shy, awkward kid. I've thrown up in the most ridiculous places. <laughs> I'm actually now a professional vomiter. I've never woken up, like, to any, like, disgusting... I could, like, blackout vomit. I'm like, oh, it's all in the toilet. How good for me. And I have also thrown up because I always had a nervous stomach, um over the most ridiculous situations. Thankfully, I did it at a point where no one knew, and I always carried Tic Tacs on me. Uh, I had, <laughs> I had um, uh, 3.2 GPA in high school, uh, which is all the more reason I get pissed off when Peter, people say Peter Parker is just like you and me. Because let's be honest, Peter Parker would have been a super scientist, no question. <laughs> he interviews with any scientist in the Marvel Universe and gets the job he didn't even apply for. So give it ten more years, and don't give me that crap about he's poor because you know he would have gotten those grants. <laughs> Anyways, I digress. Um, but no, had no social skills, never had a job I felt like I could do for the rest of my life, never felt comfortable. Um, I even got, a, I even had managed a 2.8 in college and was terrified of the real world because an acting degree doesn't get you far. Uh, no one told me that. I thought it was like a solid career. Um, but uh, yeah, and I went through job after job that I hate. Anyone that has Facebook and is friends with me on Facebook knows my feelings towards my current employment. Like, wow. Um, but. You know, uh, Chris Geiger had talked about during his, his speech at the at the Your Stories, you know, the it gets better thing. I work from a different philosophy. Now, it sounds pessimistic, but things get worse. That's the, they do. It's an unknown fact, and you have to accept it. They get bad. They get terrible. I find myself day after day, like, only me. Like, I, you know, when I was first adjusting to the city, I can't tell you how many times I, got, I followed Google Maps, like, to the letter on, like, the bus, Seven stops later, you're like, oh, I didn't pass any of these stops and I'm heading the wrong way. <laughs> and, you know, just day after day, little things like that. And so, you know, you get pessimistic and you say, my life would be better if I was Batman or Superman or the Hulk or all these things. But would it be better? They say, you know, keep the half glass full. Go empty, but go as empty as you possibly can. <laughs> Think about this. Like, Superman's entire planet exploded, and there was only fragments of his life that came back later on. Bruce Wayne, his parents died. Now, granted, in many drunken rants, I have said to my friends, I would happily trade my parents' life for Harry Potter or Bruce Wayne's success, which is a very, very bold statement. And I was trying to prove a point that Harry doesn't have it so bad. Um, but it's just like, would you really want all those things? I mean, Peter Parker and Bruce Wayne and all them, they're sad and they're lonely and they're frustrated. So I look at all these bad things, this Jerry Lewis of a life I lead in everyday situations. And I say that for me, you know what? It can get better because it can only get better at that point. So that is my theory for today. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you, Sawyer. That was fantastically grim. <laughs> You know you exactly what I like. I don't think Steve's was the most disappointing, uh, the most bring down anymore. Jesus, Sawyer. Was it? Oh, I no, 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 no. John Lester's. Jonathan Lester! You can find him at, at John Epperson Lester, Alex. <laughs> I'm big. Uh, so I was going to tell my theory about model trains, but I feel like this is a hostile oh, no. environment. Uh, 
<laughs> no, but seriously, so uh, my theory is uh, actually kind of branched off from last week that I was thinking about what the greatest th threat to our modern society is. Now, uh, is this election year? We may hear that terrorism is the greatest threat or the financial cliff or zombies, as it may be. Uh, it will be a big campaign issue, trust me. Uh, but no, those are all wrong. The biggest threat to our modern society is the world of Warcraft. <laughs> I read this article a couple months ago. The number of time, the amount of time that all players worldwide have spent on WoW since its inception is six million years. That is the amount of time played on WoW. Think of the collective ability of those people's man hours. I mean, they said that thing that where you did math problems and people got rice in Africa. Think how much time, how much rice those people would have now. <laughs> Seriously. Those six million hours spent killing the Lich King, think of what those could have been put to use, all right? Plus, who does this uh, phenomenon target? Nerds. They're trying to keep us down, okay? <laughs> this is the government plot to keep nerds down. But also, it targets the emotionally vulnerable. Now, I have a, uh, a personal a confession and full disclosure. I had a WoW account before, and I'm a recovering WoW addict. So, I know. I, my name is Josh Lusher, and I'm a recovering WoW addict. Thank you. I uh, opened a WoW account in 2006 because of the South Park episode, Make Love, Not Warcraft. Um, and my boyfriend looked at me and said, oh, I have a WoW account, would you like to try? And I said, sure, why not? They have a free 10-day period. <laughs> that's the gateway drug, that's how they get you. That's how the butchers get you. So that semester, I had a 2.6 GPA, um, which would be by far my worst GPA in college, including a failed class, because I can tell you what time the server maintenance is on my server. It was 7 a.m. on Tuesdays. Do you know why I know that? Because many Tuesdays, I was still playing WoW, and yes, I had class at 10 a.m. So, WoW is it a government plot <laughs> to make you fail so they can control you. That is my theory. So those who must WoW, WoW carefully. <laughs> So again, these are uh, Bill's choice of bands, and we're <coughs> gonna dedicate this song to the city of Boston, I think. Shake on the boxcar moving Be 
big shake to the land that's falling down Here's a wind makes a palm stop blowing A big, big stone falling break my crown There is a wait so long So long, so long You'll never wait so long Here comes your man Here comes your man Here comes your man Nerdalogs Present Your Stories is sponsored by the Chicago sketch comedy troupe The Nerdalogs and is recorded the third Sunday of every month at the Upstairs Gallery in Chicago, 6219 North Clark Street. The stories you hear have been prepared and presented by the speakers on a volunteer basis. Your Stories is recorded and co-produced by Sean Patrick Boyle. Our theme song comes from the band State Shirt. For more information on The Nerdalogs, Your Stories, and more, go to www.nerdalogs.com. <laughs>